Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The um, Laura's sickness could not keep the spirit away, right? Amen. Holy God. Oh. Laura's not feeling great. That's why she's not been singing today. But uh, wow, it's good, huh? Amen. All right, we're going to talk about men today. So ladies, you get to sit back and relax. <laughs> you know, some, uh, it's kind of funny. I was just thinking about this. I don't think I've ever, uh, since I've been here, I don't think I've ever preached a Mother's Day message. <clears throat> kind of interesting. I, it, maybe I shouldn't, right? Because that's kind of how I feel a little bit like, eh, who am I to talk to mothers? Um, but, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, I think, you know, maybe some women would like to get up and preach a Father's Day message. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. You know, our culture, uh, as we know, right, it, it, it is another one of our battlegrounds, right? This is another area where for decades now, uh, manhood has been under attack. Um, you know, the destruction of the family, right? It's a key part of it is it not just the family unit, but it's how do you get fathers out of the picture, right? And, and, and so there's been this concerted effort, it seems, in our culture uh, by certain people in power to actually diminish the role of men and fathers and to, to, to somehow make them less important, uh, that we really don't need those fathers, that we really don't need men, that, we, that men, matter of fact, if you're a man, you just need to know that you just need to stay out of the way, right? You know, I mean, this is a woman's world and, and you, uh, you do have no place in it other than to, you know, support it somehow a woman. And it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, it, uh, the amazing how it's destroyed it. But, uh, you know, as I was, felt like the Lord said, you know, we need to talk about manhood this week. Uh, I also found myself really struggling be, because what is a man. I, you, know, I, you know, we, I don't know if we can fully grasp manhood outside of the cultural influences. And even those of us who, who recognize this culture's attack against manhood and fatherhood, uh, we, our defense of men goes back to previous cultural influences on what it means to be a man. And so, can we really grab those traditional perspectives of manhood and say, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. Stop making men wimps. They're supposed to be these strong beasts who love trucks and love guns and love to fight and love to be dirty and love to just do crazy things. <laughs> it's a problem with visitors, you know? They don't know when to talk, when not to talk. <laughs> Maybe that's what they preach in Texas, but... So, can, so, 
So can we really, like, you know what I'm saying? As I, as I started to think about, you know, my perceptions of what it means to be a man, I realized that those perceptions were actually grounded in an American exceptionalist kind of perspective and not necessarily in Scripture. I've, I've seen men that are getting trampled by this culture who are left on the sidelines not knowing what to do afraid to be a man but I've also seen how our traditional perspective of manhood in America has done the same to men Men who didn't fit the stereotype of being that manly man, that beast that loves guns, loves fighting, loves wrestling, loves dirt. And so I found as I started to dig into this, like, okay, so what is a man? I mean... Is it, is it really that traditional perspective? I think there's some, there's some evidences that it is part of that. But what does scripture teach? Right? Our culture wants to define manhood. And those with a traditional perspective say, no, no, we get to define manhood. But ultimately, right, it's God. But even to understand what God, how God describes manhood, I, I think it's a challenge as well. Because it, it's not really cut and dry. It, it doesn't feel like in scripture you find any like really strongly like this is what manhood is. And so as I was led to go back to Genesis, oh, wait, wait we've been in Genesis. <laughs> <clears throat> we're, we're going to go back in time to Genesis chapter 2. As I was led to do that, I also felt like God was saying, you know, or at least maybe, I don't know if this was God, but I felt like in my humanity I needed to say this, that I feel like Genesis 2 gives us some clues of what God, how God defines manhood, but I also want to suggest that, you know what, it, there may be more, or you may disagree with, because I, I just, I feel like there's this like, ambiguity a little bit. And so I'm going to suggest these things. And maybe you like go, yeah, that's it. And if that's you and, that, and the Holy Spirit confirms that and you praise the Lord. Um, but uh, if not, I, I think this, we need to discuss this. I think we need to talk about this. I think there's been books about manhood that are good books, but I wonder how much of those books have been influenced again by our culture versus scripture. You know, the, the tendency for us, you know, and all of, all of us do this, like all humans do this, right? A tendency us for us to say, oh, this is in my mind what it means to be a man. And then we go back and grab scripture and look for evidences of it. Mm. Versus saying, okay, what, let's, what is manhood? All right, let's read and see what comes out of it. Genesis 2. So 
sorry, we're going back there. I know we preached like 10 messages on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but we're going to do it again. So, Genesis 2. It seems in this chapter that <laughs> the interesting section that I'm reading here is Genesis 2, 15 to 25. And in that section... It's before women are on the earth, before women have been created. Right at the end is when the woman is, you know, the ribs pulling out. Oh, ow, why? Ah. You know, right? And, and God creates woman, right? But always going to be a pain in our side. Come on. Come on. Come on. Ladies, you're supposed to be quiet. You're just sitting back and relaxing. This is to the men. This is, this, is why our, this is why our greeters scan everyone for tomatoes and that kind of stuff. Um, all right. So um, this is before, like God is just speaking to Adam in this passage. And, and so I felt like maybe, maybe this is a good spot to say, okay, is God maybe defining manhood right here in this little section right before woman is brought into the scene? And I don't know. We'll see. Tell me what you think afterwards. We'll see. Here we go. Genesis 2, verse 15. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, this is not Rich Brown's fault this time, right? No, no. <laughs> I love Rich's deep, you know, like, you know, kind of baritone voice as he reads out loud. Would you like to read it, actually? <laughs> so Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. It seems maybe the first thing that God gives man is work. Dang it. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously? Work. I, and, I, and I honestly, I do find this to be, I feel like this is true in my life. Not that that's the end of it, but, but there's just something about work that I, I think man, a, a man needs to work. He, he needs to be a hard worker. He, he needs to get engaged with working and, and figure out a way to, to, to produce something, to make something happen, to do something. He's, he's got to be busy. He's got to be involved in working. And working, again, is not necessarily something that's fun. <laughs> it, it's oftentimes something that's monotonous and difficult and challenging. But it seems that the first, and I think is it, it is a gift, I think... The first gift that God gives man is work. He says, I, I, we've got this garden here. And, and I've placed you in this garden. I've provided this garden for you. But it needs to be managed. It needs to be taken care of. There's some pruning that needs to be done. 
At this time, there was no weeds, which was nice, right? So he didn't have to weed. Oh, my gosh, wouldn't that be great? Um, but no, I mean, it, he's got this job to do. It's, I think, part of manhood to be somebody who is seeking to make the world a better place. Putting in the effort to recognize, okay, this is the creation. This is the world that I'm, in li- that I'm living in. How do I make it better? How can I work to improve it? How do I work to keep it maintained? But we need to be careful because our traditional perspective would say, yeah, yeah, that's totally. Men are to work. That's what they're supposed to do. But we have to be careful with how we define work. Because there's a definition of work in our traditional perspective that says that it's got to be dirty work. It's got to be work with your hands. It's got to be mean work and manly work. It's got to be work that's really, you know, achieving something, something great, something big, something awesome, right? You know, this kind of perspective of manhood, this working to, you know, to, to be physical and strong and strength. But, but that, I don't know, I don't see that here. I think we need to be careful of forcing work into a certain cultural perspective. A stay-at-home stay dad is a hard worker. Right? Hmm. We also have to be careful defining it by making a lot of money. Again, American culture, right? I mean, it's all about the wealth, right? It's all about the power that comes with money. We want to make more money. We got to have more money. We never deny or never turn down a promotion, right? More money, yeah. Another, you know, always looking for the next thing, the bigger thing. And, and so the idea that, you know, a good job or a good worker is someone who makes a lot of money. I hope that's not true because, hmm. <clears throat> anyway, because um, I know some people, right? No, uh, missionaries, right? I mean, does that mean that they're not hard workers, that they're not a man because they're on the mission field or that they're, you know, working in a, in a position that doesn't bring in a lot of money? And we also have to be careful not to define work or to add to work, to be the provider. Again, our traditional perspective, I think, wrongly puts the burden of providing for the family on the man. A, a, A man needs to work But scripture also teaches us that it is God who provides. There's too many fathers, husbands, men who feel, don't feel like a man because they're not able to work in a job that provides enough wealth in order for their family to get and live at the luxury that their neighbors are or other friends are. 
There's too many, I think, men out there who are left with this burden of provision that's not theirs to carry. The life, a man as a worker, this is a lifelong journey. It's not, you know, again, our American culture tells us that, you know, we work for, you know, 30, 40 years and then we get to retire and then we're done working. But obviously, I I think most of us recognize, like, no, that's not reality. Like, we always, as men, seek to work our whole life until the Lord takes us. That, but again, if we can define work in in, in, a little more broadly and recognize that the the work that, uh, you know, a grandpa does to love his grandkids, that's so fun, right? Uh, If we can define the work of men in retirement that, yeah, they're not doing their job anymore. They're not doing their career anymore, but they're still working for their own blessing and the blessing of others. Then I think we never stop working as men. This is our job. This is what God has given us. He's given us a heart and a desire to work. And when we work, we find satisfaction. There's great joy in it. I believe that work could be described as man's discipline. We have to be disciplined in it. We have to, you know, kind of, you know, it it can be really easy in our world to become lazy. It can be really easy to allow the culture to tell us just to get out of the way. And so it takes discipline for us to continue to engage in work because sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it is monotonous. Sometimes we just don't want to get out the door. But the discipline of saying, no, I'm going to do it has great reward. Because the discipline, if we can be disciplined in our work, we'll find that we actually have a lot of self-control over other areas of our life as well. Verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, of it you shall surely die. God gives man faith. God gives man faith. Part of being a man is being a man of faith, of having faith. The fact that God steps in here and tells uh, Adam, says, hey, look, there's a tree in the garden, right? We have a sovereign God who has created a tree, a specific tree that is dangerous to eat. And so by uh, God communicating this to Adam, he's communicating to Adam, hey, I'm in charge. Here it is. This is an evil tree. But also by communicating to him the fact that this tree is dangerous shows that God is a good God. Because he doesn't want him to accidentally eat of this tree. Like, you know, I want you to know this is a bad tree. Stay away from it. If, and the consequences if you eat from it. So Adam finds at the beginning of his life here in the garden that there, there's a God in heaven who is sovereign and in control and yet who is also good and desires for us to follow him, to listen to him, to abide by him. 
to have faith in him. He gifts Adam with faith, with, gifts man with faith. The reality is, is that to be a man, we need to know God and we need to follow him. We need to trust him. Without faith, there is no way that we can be the man that God has created us to be. We have to seek Jesus. We have to trust Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. But understand, to have faith does not mean that every man is a theological expert. It doesn't mean that every man has to be a leader in his church to conduct Bible studies, to be a missionary, or even to have to lead family devotions. Again, our traditional perspective of manhood puts the faith of the entire family on the man. And while the man is indeed a man who needs to place his hope and trust and faith in God and encourage those around him to have that faith as well, I think we need to be careful how far we take it. Some men have struggled to understand the deeper theological issues of Scripture. They've struggled to even maybe memorize Scripture. They've struggled to be able to lead a Bible study, and they, just, they can't do it, yet they can feel guilty about that and shame, and I just don't think that that's what faith means. Faith is not about knowledge. Faith is about trust. Even a child can have faith. Matter of fact, Scripture encourages us to have a faith like a child. A man needs to, I think, a father needs to make room in his home for his kids to learn about who God is. But he doesn't necessarily have to be the one that leads that. If his wife is really good at understanding Scripture and leading and teaching Scripture, then encourage her to do so. Maybe he's got a teenager who is really understanding and knowing, right, to encourage them to do that. But I will say this as well. Just because maybe you're not gifted to lead the family devotions, men, doesn't mean that you don't have to be there. Your leadership in that moment is for them to see the faith that you have, to recognize that you are there, that this is important, that, this is, that, there, that there is a God who is sovereign, and he is good, and he desires for all of us to follow him. Again, this uh, life of faith that God has called us to, is a, it's, a, it's a journey. It's something that we continue to develop throughout our life. We will never know everything. We will never become perfect. But we should continue to pursue God 
to know him better, to, to understand theology better, to continue to develop those skills, to try to understand who he is, but also to develop our ability to trust him and to walk in faith. When a man chooses to put his faith in God and surrenders his life to his will, that man will find no matter how difficult life gets, he is still filled with hope for tomorrow. Verses 18 to 20, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was no, not found a helper fit for him. Here we see God gives man responsibility. God doesn't just want workers. Like, he doesn't want us just to get out there and just do our job and don't ask questions. God purposely steps in at this point and says, look, no, 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 wait a second. I want you to understand something. This is my creation, but I am giving it to you. I'm allowing you to have some ownership over this creation that I've made. And because you are now an owner, you're able to name, but also because you can name, you are now responsible for it. God has made men to take on responsibility. We're not apathetic. You know, we don't just... I don't care. It doesn't matter what happens. No, no, no. The things especially, if you even think about this, the things that you own are the things that you desire to care for. Some men are more extreme than this than others. I, I don't, you know, I sometimes, you know, my, my things, I leave them out, you know, and they get broken, you know, my fault, right, kind of thing, right? <laughs> my toys, I leave them out. But other men are very, very, and people are this way, not in general, but they, they protect the things that they own. And I think it's true of men, that men are more like this. There's a, there's a thing that God has given us that when we have something, when it's ours, we want to see it flourish. We want to see it be good. And we want it to be taken care of and protected. We want to see it multiplied, right? We, the thing that's ours, like the man who has to just go to work all day and he gets no, there's no ownership in it, is going to work in a different way than the man who goes to work and says, no, I own part of this business, right? This is, part of, this is something I want to see it expand. I want to see it succeed. God gives us responsibility because he wants us to invest our lives in it. He wants us to, to work to see it multiplied. He wants us to improve the things that are, we have, the things that we own. To care for those things, to provide for those things, to protect, to help them to flourish. Now, ownership goes beyond just things. Uh, you know, we, we use the word mine all the time. Finding Nemo uses it as well. <laughs> Uh, the seagulls. Uh, anyway, it's great. Not the band. Um, anyway, uh, so <laughs> mine, right? I mean, it's like we, we use it, you know, that's my stuff. Like, it's my car. That's my house. Those are my golf clubs. That's my coffee. That's my Seahawks hat, right? You know, I claim it. I, those are mine, right? Uh, so, you know, we, we talk about that all the time, but we also use it in relationship. This is my wife, right? 
Amen, right? That's, that's this one right here. She's my, hi, baby. It's my wife. Now, our kids, sometimes it's touch and go. It's your kids. It's my kids. It can go in back and forth, right? My friends, right? My church, right? I mean, we, so we use it in relationship as well. But so some of us are like, wait a second, you can't own people. That's not, you can own things, but you can't own somebody else. But, but I think that, that, that perspective, it's skewed because it defines ownership as having control over. But I think the way that God defines ownership is to have responsibility for. If we understand ownership as having the responsibility for, then, yeah, we can own people. I have a responsibility to my wife because she's my wife. Mine. <laughs> I'm responsible, exactly. And that responsibility, <laughs> that responsibility is to love, to encourage, to care for, to help, to improve, to be there for her. God has given men responsibility. It's sad to see men who choose not to receive responsibility for their life or for their world or for their family. No, no. Men, stand up. Accept the responsibility that God has given you. It's a great gift. It's a beautiful thing. And the amazing thing about responsibility is it motivates us. You want to get a man motivated? Give him responsibility. Now, Grant, Grant some of us, again, we, we're not perfect yet. <laughs> but responsibility is a motivator. God uses it to motivate us. Hey, hey, you know, I, I'm going to give you responsibility, but he said, wait a second, you need to understand, this is a gift. I'm giving you this amazing gift. Like, it's a beautiful car, right? It's a Mustang, red, cherry red, beautiful. Yes, right? You got this car, right? God gives it to you. It says, here's this great thing, right? Oh, you're amazing, God, I love you so much. What do you do then? Oh, now I'm motivated to care for that, to care for that car, to make sure it's washed, make sure it doesn't have mango hair in it. whatever. It's not a Mustang. <laughs> right? I mean, when we, when we receive something, right, we are motivated to care for it, to love it, to use it appropriately, and to bless other people with it, right? And this is the great thing about God giving us responsibility. When a man is willing, when a man willingly takes on responsibilities, he will find an internal motivation to care for, multiply, and improve what he has and to use it to bless others and to honor God. The greatest thing about, one of the greatest things about ownership, about responsibility, is that we get to use it in honor of God. The Mustang is not mine because I earned it. It's a Mustang that was given to me by my father. And because it was given to me, when I'm driving it around and people go, oh, nice car, I'm going, God is good. 
My father gave it to me. All right, last uh, few verses here, 21 to 25. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both, yes, naked and not ashamed. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Back in the good old days right now. Just, I'm sorry, that's inappropriate. My bad. See, I'm still working. God's still working on me. I, I I got some work to do. I got a responsibility, exactly. God gives man, God gives man relationship as well. God gives man relationship. It's, it's, he he wants us to understand and, and to recognize the value of having people in our life. An intimate relationship. You know, the, again, the traditional perspective of manhood uh, kind of makes the man kind of be a loner. You know, the rugged individualism, like he's just kind of out on his own. He kind of does his thing. Yeah, he has his family, but he kind of comes home and eats dinner and kind of grunts a couple of times and then goes off and, you know, whatever else he's going to do the rest of the day. This, this idea that he's not connected in relationships, that, oh, he doesn't need relationship. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anything. He can just do it on his own. But this is not the biblical perspective, I don't think, of manhood. God gives us relationship. Notice he says at the beginning of this section here, it is not good for man to be alone. It is an essential aspect of what we need and who we are, we need to be men in relationship. To be close to others, especially to our wives. To be in relationship means that men put in the time and the effort to get to know other people and let them get to know them. Right? Relationship is not just about, you know, talking about politics or sports. It's not about just talking, talking about trivial things. It's, it's about talking about real things, hard things. Things that matter. Things that motivate us. Things that are in our, that, that we're struggling with. As men, we have been given this amazing gift of relationship. But it does take effort. We've got to let go of the traditional perspective of man on his own and say, no, 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 men, we need to get involved. We need to be available for relationship. It's unfortunate that the church has become a place for women mostly and not men. 
Maybe because of the spiritual emotionalism, sometimes it's there. But I think also because men struggle with the relationship thing. They have this perspective that, hey, you know, they're just on my own. I don't need people. You, you go to church. You need wife. You need to go to church so you can have those relationships with people and have those conversations. But I don't need that. No, God has given you relationship. We all, as men, need it. But understand as well, again, limit this. That doesn't mean that we have to be all touchy-feely and emotional and, and that kind of thing. You know, two extremes on this. We, we have a, the traditional perspective that says men should never be emotional, should never show their emotions, and that's wrong. But the other side is to just go to the extreme and say, well, you got to be all the way emotional all the time like I am or like whoever is, like anybody is, like other people are, whatever, right? No, it's neither one. Some men are emotional, and they're men. The men, they're a, they're a man like God defines a man, an emotional man. That's great. God has given us emotions. But other men are never going to be very emotional. They're going to struggle talking about their emotions. They're going to struggle to talk about things that matter. And we need to be careful of not forcing them into some mold The reality is you don't have to be emotional in order to be in an intimate relationship. You can have conversations. And for some of us who aren't as emotional, like it, an intellectual conversation is just as satisfying and draws me, it draws uh, uh, people together for somebody who's not very emotional than it would an emotional conversation with somebody else. I think where the challenge is is for those who struggle to communicate, those men that struggle to communicate, to, to not... Uh, it's really easy to fall into that traditional perspective, I, I, I'm alone, I, you know, I don't need anybody, I'm okay. And I, and I just, we can't stay there. We have to try. We have to choose to engage. We have to allow people to get to know us and choose to get to know others. And again, it's a lifelong journey. Lifelong journey to be known and to know. I see... I see the gift of relationship in manhood as actually the great nourishment. <laughs> when, a, when a man chooses to really engage in relationships with his wife, indeed, if he has a wife, but also with others, there is a sweet nourishment that comes from that. Men, we, we want to be known. And so when we're vulnerable enough to allow people to know us, we get this amazing encouragement and support and strength. To do it on our own, we are a limited man, but to do it with others, we can become all that God has made us to be.
Okay. I think it's time for the worship team to come up as I make a couple of closing statements here. As I lay these uh, four thoughts out of uh, manhood, meaning that we are workers, that we have faith, that we take on responsibility, and that we engage in relationship, understand that while there is a natural maybe craving for these things that God has created in us, because of sin, there is huge force keeping us from those things. And so I, I, I want to encourage you, if, if you as a man, as a father, are not experiencing all of these or, 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 or have struggled to experience or see these in your life, this is not a reason for you to feel guilty and ashamed. It is for you to recognize that you're human and you've got this thing called sinful nature that continues to battle against the things that God wants for you. Some of us may never fully experience some of these things that it means to be a man, but that doesn't mean we're not a man. Again, our identity is not determined by others, it's determined by God. God created you, he created you as a man. Our hope and identity for all of us is to live out who God has created us to be. Despite the fact that sin continues to distract us and to derail us from being that child of God that we are. And so, men, that's the same for you. Don't, don't, don't allow this to beat you up in any way. Understand, let's look at these things. Let's look at this reality. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you on one of these, then step out. Ask Jesus, help me, Lord, to experience more of this that you've created me for. Recognize that hopefully, the longer we're alive, the more so we will live out who we've been created to be. All for his glory, for our blessing, but also for the blessing of the whole world. Amen. Stand, church, and uh, we'll sing a couple more songs, and I'll come up with a closing passage. Lord, we thank you for uh, men. Thank you that you created us and that uh, you have defined us. Lord, you are the one who determined our identity and our uniqueness. And so, Lord, help us to further understand who you've created us to be, but also, Lord, help us to live into that, Lord, that we would begin to live out more fully what uh, our identity uh, that you have determined, uh, the definition of our life that you have given, that you would be glorified, that we would be blessed, and those in our world would be blessed as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, have cleansed, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Thank you, church. Have a great Sunday. If you like prayer, we would love to pray for you. Please come forward, and uh, we'd love to take care of you.